Revelation chapter 8. And we will see how far we'll get tonight. We'll definitely get into chapter 9. I know that for a fact. Probably make it through verse 6, but we will see. So Revelation chapter 8, we're continuing um, with this study. You remember that last week we started talking about the seven trumpets. And we were beginning to look at the first four trumpets last week. And we saw how the first four trumpets correspond to the plagues in Egypt. And we were noticing how the effects of the trumpets being blown can be seen in our world today. But uh, as noted, we've noted this many times, that as history continues to progress and we get closer and closer to the end, these judgments, the effects of the judgments, are going to begin to intensify. So this, just this gradual intensification that leads all the way to the end. And I think that's why there's a very clear break between the first four trumpets and the last three trumpets. Because notice that last week we ended with the four uh, trumpets in verse 12 of chapter 8. And then verse 13, it, it marks this shift that's going to begin the intensification. So, so look at verse 13. This is what it says. Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Now I want you to notice that warning there. Notice that woe is repeated three times. I mean, that itself is an intensification. The angels in heaven declare that God is holy, holy, holy. I mean, that's to show that he is perfectly holy. And now you have about the judgments, woe, woe, woe. These are bad. I mean, it's like this, this voice is calling out saying, hey, you thought the first four trumpets were bad. You thought all that sounded scary. Just wait until you see what's about to happen. And most of this chapter, most of chapter 9, is spent describing the fifth trumpet and the effects of the fifth trumpet. And it's going to describe this locust army, which is going to be very interesting. It's a locust army that wreaks havoc upon the earth. And you need to understand that there are two key Old Testament passages that serve as a background to this passage. The first is going to be Exodus, and it's going to be uh, chapter 10, verses 1 through 20. We don't have time to read all these verses, but that's the first background to this passage. Exodus chapter 10, verses 1 through 20. And it's the eighth plague upon Egypt, which was the plague of locusts. Now, I'm going to read verses 14 through 15 of Exodus 10 just to give you an idea. It says, The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts has never been seen before, nor will ever be again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened. And they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field, through all the land of Egypt. So that's going to be a key background passage for understanding what's going on here. The other one is found in Joel chapter 2. That also, that chapter describes a locust army that comes to wreak havoc upon the earth. 
And what we need to know going into Revelation chapter 9 is that there's a lot of symbolism going on here. I mean, the whole thing. Revelation is just full of symbols and pictures and imagery, but this is a very symbolic chapter. And we're going to get into the details, but I want us to focus on the big picture, right? We've been saying this, like it's easy to get caught up in all the little details and appreciate the bark on the tree, but you got to take a step back and admire the forest too, right? And the whole point of this, right, so if we're just trying to get out of the details and focus on the big picture, the big picture that you have to focus on is the effects that the locust army have on the earth, okay? So whatever the locusts are, whatever they mean, whatever their face is and all this other kind of stuff, all the little details, the point is the effects that they have on the earth, okay? So we will get into the details, and we're going to start with verses 1 and 2. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit, or the abyss. And he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened and the smoke from, uh, from the, with the smoke from the shaft. Now, that's about as far as we can get for now because there's already a bunch to talk about. So um, notice first we have a fallen star. Anything interesting about this fallen star that you see there in the first two verses? Yes. Yeah, it says uh, he rather than it. So this fallen star is either an angel that's coming down from heaven to open the abyss or the bottomless pit after receiving a key from God, or it's some sort of demon who has been placed in charge of the abyss or the bottomless pit, or it is Satan himself who is in charge of the bottomless pit, the abyss. And so we have to decide, well, which one is it? You know, we've got three options here. Which one is it? As you can imagine, all scholars agree on this. So there's no debate, right? That's no, revelation. Of course there's debate. N- nobody agrees 100% on this. But, but I do think it's most likely a reference to Satan because this echoes another passage in Scripture. Did this sound familiar to you at all? When, when Jesus says these things, did it sound familiar? Well, Luke chapter 10, verse 18, if you want to just reference that, that's... Luke 10, 18, and the Bible says, this is Jesus talking, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, in that passage, that's when the 72 are returning, and Jesus is saying, because of his disciples' presence in the world, and because of their ministry efforts, because of their evangelistic efforts, he sees Satan having a great defeat. Basically, Satan's power and authority had been undermined. It was like he was fallen from heaven like lightning because of what Jesus and his disciples were doing in the world. Well, here, it's a little different. It's referring to a fallen star, which is most likely Satan in his presence on earth. Because notice, John does not see the star as it's in the process of falling He just sees it after it has fallen, right? He sees a fallen star. And uh, it also makes sense that this would be Satan because uh, we learn later in this passage, in the same passage, that this angel, uh, it's called the angel of the bottomless pit, has a name that corresponds with the name of Satan. He is called Apollyon. He is also called 
Abaddon, which both of those is Greek and Hebrew, it just means destroyer. And so it's best to view this as Satan. And so we kind of have ourselves a situation here like that of the book of Job. You remember what was happening in the first part of the book of Job? God calls all his angels, Satan comes, and you know God's like, hey, have you seen Job? He's great, love that guy. He is awesome. And Satan's like, well, yeah, because you blessed him so much. But just take some of that stuff away and then see, see, uh, see what he does. And, and so God grants Satan permission to go and torment Job, but not kill him. Remember that. He specifically said, do whatever you want to him, but don't kill him. And so here we have a very similar situation where God is granting Satan. So notice, he has to receive the key from God. He doesn't just own that on his own. Satan has no power and no authority except that which is given to him by God. He's not equal. People think that Christianity is this dualistic, we just have these competing forces of God versus the devil. It's not like that. It's always just God, and the devil's running around trying to cause trouble, but it's not a real battle at all. I mean, at all, at all. It's like when Ezra tries to hit me, and I'm like, now, if I ever find out that you hit me, you know, like, it's just a little, there's no battle there, right? That's God and Satan. So Satan has no power, no authority, except that which God gives to him. And so God grants him this key, allows him to open the bottomless pit or the abyss, and stuff is going to happen. He is uh, going to release this army. And and before we move on from there, it's important for you to remember that the bottomless pit or the abyss, whatever your translation says, it's not hell. Do you all remember that? Hell is never referred to in that way uh, in the Bible. Um, Hell is, you know, the the lake of fire and, and all that kind of stuff, but but the bottomless pit or the abyss, it's the realm of the demonic. That, that's all it is. It's the demonic realm. It's the place where demons are confined until they are released into the earth. And it's the place from which the demonic come. Now, obviously, they were angels at one point who have fallen. But they are now kept in this abyss until they are released into the earth. And so that's exactly what happens here. God gives Satan the key to the abyss. And he unleashes these demonic forces upon the earth, and it's going to last during the entire church age, the entire time between Christ's ascension and his return. And and notice what it says here, uh, this smoke. It's very interesting. Um, the, The smoke rises up and causes darkness. It causes the sun to go dark, and people are having a hard time seeing And since we're talking about spiritual matters here, because uh, we need to understand that the locusts that are going to be described here, they're not literal locusts. And we know that based on their description. They've got like human faces, they've got manes like horses, they've got armors. They're not literal locusts, it's it's symbolic, it's a picture, and we're going to get into that in a little bit. We're talking about spiritual matters here, okay? Uh, You have the realm of the demonic releasing demons, that's what the locust army actually are, they are demons. And they are inflicting some sort of spiritual pain, some sort of spiritual torment into the world. And so when we're talking about this smoke that rises up, you have to understand, it's saying, think about it as a picture book. You've got the gates of this abyss opening, smoke is going throughout the whole earth in such a way that things are darkened. But if this is a spiritual matter, it's referring to spiritual darkness. In other words... When Satan releases the demons into the earth, they are going to make it such that people are kept in spiritual darkness. 
smokes. That's the smoke that's rising up here. That's actually confirmed in other places in Scripture. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, the Bible says of unbelievers, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So they are blinded from seeing the light of God because they are kept in this darkness, because the smoke has risen. I mean, you know this, if you've ever been um, at a campfire or a bonfire and the fire got out of hand and there's a whole bunch of smoke, you know you have a hard time seeing it. It stings your eyes. You can't really open them or anything. You can't really see anything, especially if the room gets super smoky. It's hard to see. And that's what the Bible is saying here, that this world and the people in this world, their eyes, their spiritual eyes, it's like they have smoke in them. They can't see. Their eyes have been darkened. And they aren't able to understand the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not able to see his beauty in the light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because Satan and the demonic forces have darkened them. They've blinded their eyes to keep them in that state of spiritual darkness. That's the image that's being portrayed here. And notice that it gets even worse in verses 3 through 6. This is what the Bible says. Then from the smoke came locusts on earth and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree but only those people who do not have the seal of god on their foreheads they were allowed to torment them for five months but not to kill them and their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone and in those days people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. That's a pretty grim picture, is it not? I mean, that's what it's literally describing as these demons are unleashed into the world. And again, the, the locusts, they aren't literal locusts. They are, they are demons. But the reason they're described as locusts is because that is a very fitting picture because locusts are a destructive animal, are they not? They're a very destructive beast, and particularly, they're destructive to what? Anybody know what they eat? Crops, right? Fields that are ready for harvest. And so it's a very fitting picture, right? It's amazing because Jesus, he looked out and he said, wow, the fields are what? Ripe for harvest. If only we had what? Some laborers. So Jesus looks out at the world, he says, man, what a harvest, this is great, if only we had some laborers. So it makes sense that those who are opposed to God and his kingdom and his ways would be described as the very animal who destroy a harvest. Does that make sense to you? It's very, it's very clever. You describe them as this beast, this animal that is known to destroy a harvest. So, so God's plan is for his people to go out in the world and to be the laborers in the field and reap the harvest that's ready. But at the same time, Satan has his plan. And Satan says, I've got my own army and I'm going to get to the harvest fields before you can. And my army is going to destroy all the potential harvest that there was going to be. That's why they're described as locusts here. And um, you, you learn that these are the, the demons that are coming from this, this place, and they're this destructive force that are working against God's plans 
and they keep people in this spiritual darkness and destroy the potential harvest. But what's interesting is they're not like the locusts in the plague in Egypt. You remember in the eighth plague, it said that the locusts ate all the green grass and all the shrubs and nothing green was left in all of Egypt. What's different about this? Yeah, they're specifically told, don't touch anything green. So in Egypt, everything green. Here, nothing green. Instead, it's actually a lot scarier. They focus specifically on people. They don't touch the, 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 the grass. They harm the people. And they are harming specifically people who what? Yeah, not believers. They don't have the seal of God. On their forehead. Now, you remember we, we said this a few weeks ago, but uh, in the first century, uh, masters would brand their slaves with their own name on the forehead. And so if you were to see a slave, they had their master's name branded here, and it was a way of showing ownership. You looked at that guy, you knew who he belonged to. Well, that's why it says the Bible, in the Bible it says that God puts his seal on our forehead. It's, it's metaphorical, it's not literal, we're not walking around with a big old seal on our forehead. But, the, but God seals us with his own Holy Spirit. And that's to show ownership so that when we are in the world as his people, people are supposed to be able to look at us as if we did have a seal on our forehead and go, that's a Christian. I know it without a shadow of a doubt. I can clearly see the fruit of the Spirit in their life. That's how obvious it should be to the whole world that we are believers. It should be like we have a big old stamp right there on our forehead. Is that always the case? No, it's not unfortunately, but that's how it should be. And so that's why it's talking about here. Um, the people know that we belong to God because we've been sealed. And as his sealed people, the locust demon army does not touch us. They do not harm us in the way that they're going to inflict torment on unbelievers. So those who have not been sealed by God, those who do not have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, those who do not belong to God, but actually belong to the kingdom of darkness, they are going to suffer the torment of the locust demons. And it says here that they are allowed to torment, but not kill them, for five months. What's the question here? Why five months, right? Seems very specific. So why five months? Anybody have any suggestions? approximately. So yeah, there are two, two things at play here. Very, very good, Michael. Two things at play here. Average lifespan of a locust, about five months. So they're tormenting for their entire existence is what that's saying. Uh, but also, the dry season in this area lasted about five months, and that's when the locusts would actually strike and go after the harvest fields. Um, it was odd for a swarm of locusts to be active during the entire five months. Normally they'd hit a spot or two and then kind of be done. But this swarm of demons is active the whole time. So with five months, it's literally just two way, like two different ways or one way of saying two different things or the same thing. I'll get my words. You can interpret it two different ways, but at the end of the day, it means the exact same thing. They are tormenting for their entire existence. For as long as they are allowed to exist, they are tormenting here on the earth. And so the Bible goes on to describe the type of torment and says it's like a scorpion sting. 
You ever been stung by a scorpion? No, me neither. So I don't exactly know what it's like, but, but what we need to understand as it's going to go on to describe here is that the, the torment of the demons is not physical. That would be easier. The torment of the demons is mental, spiritual, and psychological. And you see that people are in anguish. It says that the unbelieving world is, is so distraught and in anguish due to the torment of the demons that they desire death, but it escapes them. It's uh, the Bible's way of saying that the demons from the abyss, they create this culture of death on earth. It, it, they create this atmosphere in which people long for death. People, people make this idol out of death almost and, and even promote death and, and they make light of death. And I was thinking about this and, and thinking about how many people this affects today. I mean, you have people who, who are suffering mental illness and this isn't just exclusive to unbelievers. I mean, it's, believers can suffer in this way too. But for the unbeliever who is suffering in this way, they think about death they long for death. They might even make a plan for suicide, but so many of them don't actually go through with it. Death escapes them. It eludes them. Why? Because they're actually afraid of death. If you poll all the nations in the world, the number one most biggest fear is always what? Death. Everybody is afraid of death, especially as an unbeliever. Believers have no fear of death, right? We might fear dying, but death not a big deal for the believer. But unbelievers are terrified of death because they cannot say for certain what comes next. And so you live in this world in which they are psychologically tormented. There's mental illness. There's depression. There's all sorts of twisted thoughts. They are longing for death. They want to commit suicide, but it escapes them because they are afraid of death itself. And that's their existence. That's the world in which they live. I want you to think for a moment about the world it's describing because it sounds a lot like our world, does it not? I mean, are we not living in a culture of death right now? Look at the rise in abortion rates. Look at the, the rise of people who were pro-physician-assisted suicide. I even saw where a Japanese company was inventing a suicide chamber where a person can literally go in and they would press a button and I think it filled with nitrogen. And so you would start to, to, to breathe the nitrogen and you wouldn't really notice anything, but you would just slowly begin to fall asleep and then die. And it was for anybody who just wanted to come in and end their life. And that's the culture that we live in, where we're creating instruments of death to escape this life. I mean, think about how Death is downplayed all the time now. I mean, we're so used to it from movies and TV shows and video games that we don't even think anything about it anymore. It's a culture of death that we're living in. And then you see these other effects as well. Because notice this, our world is becoming increasingly more spiritual, but unfortunately, not more biblical. And that's an issue, is it not? I mean, people want to say that spirituality is dead, but it is not. It is alive and well in our world today. Everybody is spiritual, 
They're just not biblical. That's why people are more willing to believe in good vibes than pray to a sovereign God of the whole universe. They believe that something like that exists. That's why they, they go into all this sort of like mantras and crystals and uh, meditations of various kinds and zodiac signs and horoscopes and all this kind of They have all this spirituality, but no one is willing to seek spirituality in Christ. There's no biblical aspect to this at all. You also see people twisting all of God's ways and all of God's decrees. And what I want you to understand, when you see this picture of Satan releasing these demons into the world, and they are causing this spiritual and mental and psychological torment, where they are literally darkening the minds of unbelievers and blinding them from seeing the truth of the gospel, you have to understand the Bible wants us to view the world in the way in which Revelation describes it. Because so often we're looking for a literal locust, and the effect of the locust is right in front of us. And God's saying, what are you doing? You're looking for a little flying bug with wings, and it's happening right in front of you. Look at the effects all around you. But we don't see the world that way. We've got to learn to see the world as Revelation describes it. So, for instance, let me give you an example. When you see a gay pride parade, or you see people marching for abortion rights, and people marching for the right to murder babies all the way up to the moment of birth for any reason whatsoever, when you see something like that, you know what that that looks like according to Revelation? It looks like rising smoke from the abyss that darkens understanding and blinds people to truth. It looks like a swarm of locusts descending upon the earth to promote the kingdom of darkness and keep people out of the kingdom of light. That's exactly what that looks like according to the book of Revelation. When you hear about and see the absolutely mind-blowing number of young people who are so mentally confused that they actually believe they are a different gender than the one they were born with. And you see the, the confusion that arises today from the gender crisis in our world. What are you looking at according to Revelation? You're looking at the smoke of the abyss that is darkened minds and continues to keep people in darkness. I mean, isn't it amazing that this is increasing now, exactly how Revelation said it would. As we get closer to the end, this kind of stuff is going to intensify. Because at no other point in human history have we ever had a gender crisis like this, right? I mean, shouldn't that raise a couple red flags? Everybody's saying, well, it's so natural today. It's, it's, you know, it, people were just not open to it back then. No, something is going on. There, there's a spiritual warfare at play here because you don't read about anyone in the 17th century, 16th century, 15th, anything like that of people saying, hey, I'm actually a girl. I was just born with a boy's body. That didn't exist. The reason it exists today is because the locusts have descended upon the earth and they're increasing in their number. They're increasing their expansion. They're, they're darkening the minds. The smoke is blinding people to spiritual truths. I mean, if you want another example, when you hear and see prosperity teachers preaching a false gospel, when you see them leading people astray, when you see them praying on the harvest, the literal harvest, here are people who come to church, and you see these prosperity preachers praying on the harvest, what are you looking at? You're looking at a swarm of locusts who are here to do the bidding of Satan and further the kingdom of darkness rather than serving Christ the King and expanding the kingdom of light. That's exactly what you're looking at. 
That's the world according to Revelation. The demonic forces that have been unleashed on our world are terrifying, and the consequences and effects of their efforts are horrific. But all of this should just make us all the more thankful for Jesus, should it not? When you read about what's going on here, in this scene, as scary as it is, we who have turned from our sins and trusted in Christ, who have received the indwelling presence of God by His Holy Spirit and have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, we will never have to suffer the effects of this swarm of demons. That's good news for us, is it not? They're only allowed to touch the unbelievers because God has sworn to watch over us and protect us. I'm reminded of the night that Jesus was betrayed when he looked at Peter and he said, Peter, Satan demanded your life. Imagine Jesus saying that to you. Would that not be the most terrifying thing you'd ever heard? I'd be thinking, Satan knows who I am. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Satan demanded your life. And Jesus says, but I have prayed for you. Doesn't matter that Satan demanded it, because Jesus prayed for them. He intervened. He protects his people. He watches over his people. And we're not Peter, but we know that Jesus is our intercessor and our mediator. And he intervenes for us. He prays for us. He is before the Father, making intercession for his people, even right now. So yes, demonic forces, they're going to seek to oppress us, right? You'll never be possessed by a demon, but you could be oppressed by a demon. They will oppress us. They will tempt us. They will seek to thwart God's plan and prevent His kingdom from expanding. But we also know who wins. I read the end of the book. I know. know, Spoiler alert. Our whole series is called The Triumph of the Lamb. Jesus will have the victory. And as His people, we will stand in victory with Him. And so we need not fear this swarm of demons because Christ is more powerful than all of the forces of the abyss. Amen? Um, It's to be a parallel, I think, or at least an antithesis to the plagues in Egypt because in the plague in Egypt they were only allowed to eat the, the grass and the green things but not touch the people. But here is showing, hey, you thought that plague was bad in Egypt. That was just a a picture of judgment in history. But wait till you get to this, because they won't be touching grass then. They're going to be touching only people. So um, I I think that's that's probably. But it also could have to do with the first four trumpets. Uh, The grass was affected and burned up and things like that. And so um, I think it was trumpet one, maybe, um, where... All the, uh, yeah, yeah, so in the first trumpet when it blows, all the grass and the trees were, were burned up, or at least a third of them were, and so there's probably not much left at that point anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's a great point, Michael. Yeah, Satan doesn't care about grass. He cares about people. That sounds odd to say. Satan does not care about people. Satan wants to... Yeah, we, we get what you... Yeah. Right, right, yeah. No, Satan does not care about people. 
he wants to keep people from God. So, yeah. We'll get to that next week. But yeah, no, no, you, you can ask your question now if you'd like. Yeah, we'll talk about this more next week, but just kind of to give you a brief answer is it's apocalyptic literature, so the language is highly symbolic, and, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John is trying to describe what he sees using language that's um, not necessarily weightier, but that contains more than just a simple description. Um, so you're going to read about how, like, they've got manes, like, like women's hair, you know, type, type thing, um, when locusts only have antennas. And uh, they are like horses that are stampeding. And they've got faces like people. And, and I think it's meant to give us the idea that these demons that have been unleashed in the world could be anybody. Looks like a person. Has nice hair. Like, because, you know... Movies and TV shows, they always depict like Satan and the demons. They're red. They've got these horns and they've got this forked tail and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, well, that's not actually, they, they come as an angel of light. So I'm not convinced Kenneth Copeland's not a demon. Just putting that out there for you. I don't know if I'm still recording, but yeah, thank, thanks, Jordan. I don't know if we're recording. That'll get taken down or we'll get sued. And he's got more money than almost God himself. So, uh, but I'm not convinced he's not a demon. I mean, Joseph and I and Jordan and I, we've, we've talked about this. There have been some videos that have surfaced that are just, and, and you see that he's promoting a kingdom of darkness. He's a prosperity teacher. And, and so I, I think when you have a description where it's like, hey, it's a locust, but it's also, it kind of looks like a person and they've got nice hair, but they sound like a stampeding army. It, it's meant to draw us again to the effect. Why is it a locust? Because locusts are destroyer. They're here to, to reap the harvest before the disciples. Why does it sound like horses? Because there's so many of them and they are unleashed in our world. Why the human faces and the hair? Because it could be anyone. And they aren't these ugly, twisted, red things. They could have nice, glossy hair. Looks like they've just conditioned it. Like, you just don't know who it is or who it could be, but you know that they're present and you know them by the effect, not what they look like. So I think that's why there's a varied description there. I could be wrong. Again, it's Revelation, so we're free to come to different conclusions, but I think that's maybe one of the reasons. All right, Joseph, how about you close us in prayer?